Welcome to Unscripted, the Field of 68's Michigan State basketball podcast presented by Bet Rivers. It's Greg Waddell with me as always, Carter Elliott from Sleepers Media. And today we brought in a special guest. He's not a Minnesota expert. He's not a Michigan State expert. He's our resident North Carolina Tar Heel expert who is here to explain why on earth Roy Williams was at the Michigan State Minnesota game last night. But beyond that, he's one of the best national college basketball coverers that we have he did a great preseason countdown where he previewed every good team in the country it seems like and he is a writer for heat check cbb riley davis riley thanks for being here man how you doing i'm doing pretty well it's it's good almost a friday so appreciate y'all hitting me up today to come on the show it's always a pleasure to hang out with y'all and I've loved my time in the past. Anytime I've hopped on a sleepers media or well, first time being on an unscripted pod, but I've been on your show before sleepers and it's always a good time. Y'all always got some that something good insight, fun stuff to say, try to keep Carter from getting too out, out of pocket, but appreciate y'all for having me. Hey, it's a, it's a full-time job. First of all, keeping me in pocket because I naturally gravitate towards the out of pocketness. But when we saw that Izzo brought in Roy, we're like, okay, we got to bring in our Roy Williams. And that's, and, that's, and that's you, Riley. So it's only right that we have you on here. And no, we're not going to blindside you with anything. I know that's me and Greg's MO. We're not texting on the side. We're going to keep it simple. All right? Don't worry. Yeah, let's, keep it, let, let's keep it very simple. And let's start with the, the obvious question everyone wants to know the answer of. Is Roy Williams going to be the next coach at Michigan State? <laughs> yeah, maybe a little Izzo successor, but no, for real, I am flattered, absolutely flattered to be considered your Roy, Roy Williams. That's one of the highest compliments you can pay. So thank you for saying that. And I kind of had the same reaction when I was just like scrolling the, the timeline and see that Roy Williams is at this Michigan State game, because usually this kind of word like breaks on different like Carolina message boards that I'm on. Like earlier this week, I saw Roy will be at the Kansas game. I think he was there on uh, Tuesday night and Secretly, I was kind of like, I hope he's not wearing a Kansas Jayhawks pin like he was the Final Four in 2008. But but then when you see out of nowhere, he's I guess he's just chilling out in the Midwest. Like, but you know, all those old legendary coaches, they're probably all friends. I, I kind of respect it for Roy because I feel like a lot of coaches that get like retired or like when they retire, especially Roy who's been doing it for so long, like they just want to step away from the game of basketball. They don't want to be near basketball. They don't want to watch it. They don't want to do it. I think Roy is pulling like what I would do if I was a coach. He's just out here just being a fan, just hitting some games, probably hitting East Lansing, maybe getting a little something, you know, stepping into Rick's, who knows, grabbing a beer. He's just living his best life. I appreciate that. But it was so random. Michigan State like tweeted the picture, like we have a special guest. And I'm like, is that Roy Williams? Like, what do you, you, why? So is Roy, is Roy doing the first ever pioneering the post-retirement retirement tour? That's what this feels like. Like, is he going to hit every major program in the country and basically just get a standing ovation, talk to the team in the locker room and like get some tweets and put some shit on the ground? <laughs> I think so, man. I wouldn't fault him. To eat. Like he's probably seeing coach K trying to get his flowers, but granted, I know Duke hasn't played on the road much this year, but um, Oh, sorry. My dog just came in. <laughs> no, that's a good thing. I mean, that's on brand. It's the Spartan dogs show. So he's just trying to get involved. Yeah, he is. But um, yeah, I think Roy's just trying to to get his flowers a little bit. He's probably getting a little envious seeing Coach K get his whole farewell tour. So I respect it. I respect going to the different big programs and just trying to see what's going on. And, you know, when I when I saw that tweet uh, that Michigan State tweeted out with the photo and everything, I'm just close my door real quick. I thought it was, 
what a what a what a consummate professional. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought it was interesting. He he commented in that that graphic that Michigan State uh, posted about how much he wanted to see the Izone and how it was consistently one of the best student sections in the country. And I mean, I'm, I'm about it. Roy Roy never really shied away from calling out the Dean Dome crowds. Like he loved to make jokes about how well they only show up for the Duke game. I wish we had a crowd like that year round. So when I saw that he's continuing that tirade, I'm like, you know what, Roy, we need it. We need our fans to be a little more like, like the is like some of those better student sections. So. So I, I love the angle that uh, maybe he's just trying to steal shine from coach K's retirement tour. That's great. I didn't even think about that. It petty. Awesome. Love it. Uh, I do feel like there's just this inner circle of elite college basketball coaches though, that like, if you have an invite into that circle, like, like Bill self's there, Tom Izzo's there. Roy Williams is there. I don't like, I think coach K is there from a respect standpoint, but there's no way coach K would do like a traveling tour and talk to other people's teams. I don't think like, I'm wondering who else is there because it feels like this generation is coming to a close slowly. And uh, sorry, Michigan state listeners. When I say that, like, I, I don't know how much longer Tom is those at Michigan state for. Bayheim's so, probably in there. Bayheim's not getting an invite to the is though. No, he's not getting an invite to the is but I mean, I feel like he's in that circle of like those. I bet you they like get around, pour a glass of whiskey with a nice glass, nice little round ice cube, and like just cuss out the transfer portal or something like that. Like <laughs> just sitting around, like God, I hate that damn thing. <laughs> I know they're all old heads and everything, and probably like complain about the direction of the sport. But I feel like Bayheim is still just too cantankerous to get these invites as like a Bill Self or Izzo or Roy. Like at least those dudes. I mean, those things at least show like a nice side to the public sometimes. <laughs> you never see that from Bayhawk. <laughs> yeah. Like there's, there's gotta be like equal parts endearing and equal parts like ready to rip your throat at any second, right. which I think is something Tom Izzo's done really well with Roy from the outside. Roy always seemed likable to me. Like I never had a reason to dislike Roy Williams. I might've been like envious of his teams, but the old like Southern drawl, like dad, vibes from him was something i love from the outside looking in yeah he always had elite like post game like videos too like him coming in the locker room with the new pair of jays on getting hype oh you know always good in my book i was hoping he didn't go to Izzo. like you should play some more bigs because i know tom would just eat that up if he's like hey, put another go ahead and put another four good let's run a little maddie sissoko uh marble bingham lineup and let's just see what happens just cause some chaos just classic roy I am sure like he and Izzo got a bond over like the affinity for just feasting and on, on the recruiting trail on those bigs ranked like in the, the 30 to 50 range and developing them for four years. Like I'm sure they still bond over that. That's that's what both of them have had so much success doing that. Definitely. Cart, final question for you on Roy. Are you firmly okay with the fact that Tom Izzo invited a coach who defeated him in a national championship game to get a standing ovation from his crowd? Ooh, I didn't even think of those optics. Um, and looking back on it, I'm not okay with that because wow. not only did he beat us, they they it was it was a dog walking, and that was one of my favorite state teams as well. Honestly, I moved on past that, but I do have a slight dissentment for Roy. Not his fault, but like <laughs> it is his had, fault. It is his fault. his fault. It's, I mean, it's not he had to go out there and play the game. Like I can't blame him for that, but. What he did to us, what he did to a young Carter, he ruined, he ruined <laughs> me. So 
Some dark days for young Carter Elliott. It's okay. You made it through. Look at you now on Unscripted on the Field of 68 presented by Bet Rivers. So uh, you're doing well. Everyone survived here. All right, let's pivot and uh, let's get into some of the actual results from last night's game. Michigan State survives, I think is the word, 71 to 69. Uh, look, Carr, you made the joke, and I've been joking about it on every episode since, like took a best punch from someone in the Oakland game, I think it was, Jamal Kane's best punch. You've been taking a lot of best punches from some bad teams over the last month. And they're winning. All they've done is win. Michigan State has not lost a game since pre-Thanksgiving. That's a long time in a college basketball season to go without losing a game. However, I don't think any Michigan State fan would honestly look you in the eyes and say they feel great about the way this team is playing right now. We throw it your way first, Cart. How do you feel after last night's game? I, I feel like we deserve to lose that basketball game. Like, it is what it is. We, we're, we still have issues with turnovers. We're having issues with slow starts. Um, you know, we got basically last night was a perfect picture of kind of what we get with Malik Hall's feast or famine. He came on late, ended up having a solid game, but had to wait until the second half to do it. Didn't seem like he was a big part of the offense in the first half when he was even in. It just it just seems like all I can think about is when we run into a good team like a serviceable Big Ten team, a good Big Ten team, that we're going to lose that game because good teams are going to be able to capitalize on our turnovers and we're not going to be able to bounce back from these slow starts. And, you know, credit to Minnesota, but also no credit to Minnesota. Minnesota is a bad basketball team and they had plenty of chances to win that basketball game. We try to give it to them. There's a lot of teams out there that are learning and losing. At least we're learning and winning, but even that doesn't even sit right with me. It's just like, yeah, you win the game, but you're not playing good basketball. Like, that's not going to get it done moving forward. So I'm happy we won, but at the same time, like, I'm not happy. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I, I, I'll push back a little. You said Minnesota's not a good basketball team. I guess that's objectively fair, but, like, Minnesota's good enough to make games competitive in the Com- big time. Competitive, yes, but, like, that game they should have they, – they should have won. Like, they should have won the basketball game. Do you think like, Minnesota played well, though? Or do you think it was just Michigan State wasn't themselves? Uh, that's the thing. I don't think Minnesota played that well. I think if Minnesota played, okay, they could have won. I didn't think they played that well, to be honest. I thought – Go. oh, go ahead, Riley. Yeah, I was just going to say, in the first half, the second half, like, it was a bit of a different story. I thought Michigan State looked pretty sloppy in the second half for most of it. But first half, I thought Michigan State was playing some good defense. Like, their rotations looked pretty good. Communication looked good. And – Minnesota made some crazy shots like that. Um, that bucket from Peyton Willis right as the first half expired. Like it seemed like they were just throwing up stuff that was going in. But in the second half, it just looked like there was a lot more defensive breakdowns on Michigan State, really struggling with ball screens. And that's where I, I, I still kind of have some of the same sentiment as Greg to where I can't exactly tell if this, this Minnesota team is just like scrappy. And I mean, Johnson's done a great job so far and everything. Maybe they are just a scrappy, well-coached team. And I think like Peyton Willis is a playmaker. He's pretty good off the bounce and at creating some offense, but at the same time, I wouldn't fully lean in to say they're a good team by any stretch yet. So I still see where where Cart's coming from too. Yeah. I think Minnesota is a team that like, I will not contend. They're not going to make the tournament, but they are a team that will win games that may help determine who wins the conference. Like it not losing to Minnesota in two games 
which Michigan State has now done, is a thing they can check off that is honestly going to boost them toward a potential Big Ten championship because Minnesota will take a game from a Wisconsin or from an Ohio State or an Illinois or a Purdue somewhere down the road. I promise you they will win one to two of those games, and it will factor into the Big Ten race. Um, just doing some box score reading, right? That's not the way to analyze basketball. I get that. But there's a couple things looking back at this game that are very bad signs for Michigan State. Uh, Marcus Bingham, 17 minutes, six points, two rebounds. I mean, that's he had four blocks in 17 minutes. He played 17 minutes. He didn't play down the stretch of this game at all. And we talk about how Michigan State's a really deep team. They go nine, ten guys deep any given night. Um, anybody can beat you. Like, they don't necessarily need an alpha. To me, the most indispensable player on this team is Marcus Bingham. Because when you aren't playing Marcus Bingham, you're getting 13 minutes from Julius Marble. Or, I mean, we didn't even see Mati Sissoko last night. But Mati Sissoko's not ready for Big Ten action. Or you have to play small ball and nobody, I, I, as much as we say, like maybe for five, 10 minutes a game, we want to see small ball. I don't think that's a, a great thing for them in big 10 play with the massive front court stars that this conference has. Um, and the most frustrating part to me card is that Marcus Bingham, well, all he's shown this year is that he's a extremely high level big 10 center. So to, to pair the results of last night's game with, okay, they survived with the fact that Marcus Bingham didn't play at all down the stretch and only played 17 minutes is horrible. Tyson Walker's the second 17 minutes uh, injury concerns is what has apparently come out after the game. So I'm less concerned with the fact that Tyson didn't check back in now that I understand why. Uh, but to me, those are the two pivotal guys that you need. And uh, what's the concern level cart that those guys were not in down the stretch. Uh, the Tyson one, I'm not concerned about at all because actually he started playing extremely well in the second half. I thought he had a three-pointer where the guy went under the screen. He shot it, had a little mid-range jumper as well where Curry didn't come up on a screen. I actually liked what he was doing. Still struggles at the rim, of course, because he's a smaller guard, needs to develop some type of mid-range like floater. Um, I don't even think a mid-range pull-up will work for him necessarily with bigger guys guarding, but I'm not really worried about Tyson. I actually like what I saw Tyson in the minutes he had before he had the ankle injury. Not with the Bingham thing. You know, it just doesn't seem fair to me on the outside looking in that Marcus Bingham is going through stretches right now where he gets benched because I think throughout the year, Marcus Bingham has showed us that he is a top tier, you know, at the at minimum defensive center in the Big Ten and has played extremely hard, extremely well. And the fact of the matter is we're still sending him messages and we're benching him for long points of the period in the second half. It's like a deja vu of next year. Marcus Bingham should not play under 20 minutes in a basketball game we're playing this year unless we're in foul trouble. Because we saw last night the small ball five, yeah, it works for a short period of time. But also we were defensively falling apart towards the end of that small ball five lineup. Um, we were not communicating on pick and rolls. There was guys looking like they were either, I could, they couldn't tell whether they wanted to switch or whether they wanted to just get through it. It just caused a lot of chaos. Like the, the small ball five lineup, I think works in spurts as a changeup, right? But eventually the team is going to adjust to that. And that's when you should go back. And I thought Bingham should have came back into that game. He sat an extremely long stretch of that second period. I, I don't know what the exact time of it was, but it seems like we didn't even see him in the second half at all. So it is a little concerning to me because with the way that our five-man rotation is, we can't afford to have that guy on the bench. He has to be on the floor. He's our clear head above, head and shoulders above our best center 
on our basketball team. So he needs to be on the floor. 17 minutes just because you don't want to play him seems unacceptable to me, especially in this game, because I can't point to a reason why he shouldn't be on the floor. It's not like, you know, Minnesota had not a true five man. They had Curry out there most of the time. So it just seems like a situation where Bingham should have been out there. I'm not really sure why he wasn't. Yeah, it's it scares me a bit. And again, box score reading here, but like all in all, Michigan State shot the ball pretty well. 52% from the floor, 43% from three last night. They made their free throws, 11 for 13 from the line. Read that, turn- read that read that turnover number, Greg. Do it so I can so I can punch myself. Do you know how many? Uh, I don't know. I blacked out after the 11th one. Um, it's 13, which I was going to say, like, 13's not perfect, but it's a pretty good number for Michigan State. Don't want to nitpick it, though, but it was 13 of those classic Izzo, like, they were, they were home run turnovers. They were careless ones, people dribbling off their feet. Like, it, it's just the, the state of the turnovers really sure. frustrated me. That's that's. It makes sense. I just, I, I guess I, I look at the box score. And I'm like, if you were to show me those shooting numbers, I'm like, okay, this is a 10 point win. Like, honestly, if you show me the shooting numbers and the turnover numbers, I'm like, yeah, we didn't turn it over 20 times. And we shot the ball really well. They should beat Minnesota pretty handily. And trying to pinpoint why they didn't to me comes back to where was Marcus Bingham? Because he is the game changer inside for this team. And he wasn't there. Um, I, yeah, it's we- just strange. With Bingham, I think, like, especially in the the non-conference, that was, as someone who's not a Michigan State fan, it's not like I follow the program super closely, that was when he was blocking everything in the battle for Atlantis, and that was the moment for me where I was like, okay, Izzo did it again. He got another one of those three, four-year guys that he's molding into, like, maybe an all-conference caliber player, and I just now, I didn't realize he only played 17 minutes last night and just checked the, the box score. He had one foul, and It's like he seems like the kind of guy who's going to set the tone for the whole defense to where you have guys getting caught on ball screens last night. And I mean, Marble's kind of there rotating over, but just kind of getting exposed like with the floater or just a second late to where it's like if if Bingham's out there, is he able to make up some of that ground when there's a communication breakdown or even just having someone like that kind of holding the defense together? You wonder if the communication is going to be better, the rotations are going to be crisper. Just doesn't make sense. I mean, you it, basically when you don't have Marcus Bingham on the floor, it's not even him blocking shots. It's the fact that you got a seven footer with freakishly long arms that's going to have people thinking twice when they go to the rim, whether he blocks it or not. They're going to be thinking about it. They saw Hauser out there, and they're like, "All right, let's just let's, let's go to the hoop." They saw Malik Hall at the at the rim. They're like, "All right, let's go to the hoop." Like there was a lot of times where this Minnesota team was attacking the basket the basket in the second half, and I saw myself like, "Okay." They're going to the basket a lot. Okay, they're hitting some tough shots, but also, like, there's not that much rim protection right now. We should probably get Marcus Bingham back into the game, and he just – it it never came. I think if you go back through Izzo's last two decades, the way he's handled his big men from a trust perspective is very interesting. Like, he's obviously had some great development stories, a couple that come to mind for me, Adrian Payne, Matt Costello – guys that by their fourth year were almost like 25, 30 minute a game guys that would play the whole game. Xavier Tillman, another one, he he only played three, but it's like, you know, his best teams to me, the best Michigan state teams have had an anchor at center that will play as many minutes as they can play. And then barring foul trouble or fatigue, they come out. Um, And I think going into the season, I was ripping that this team had no center. And then a month in, it's like Marcus Bingham is that guy. Let's see, can he become that 25, 30-minute-a-game guy 
I'm very concerned that at this point, really in the thick of the conference season at this point, he's playing less than 20 minutes a game. And it seems that it comes down strictly to whatever we want to call trust from Izzo with Marcus Bingham, which is not good. And it, it, again, harkening back, we've seen this happen before um, for various reasons. Like Nick Ward is one that comes to mind. He ended up not playing his senior year at Michigan state at all and going pro. And he was not playing major minutes the year before he was done. Um, I, I think even like Derek Nix is a guy and both of those guys had some, I guess you could say, like in shape concerns can they play stamina concerns maybe that's sort of the deal with Marcus Bingham um but to me the best version of this team needs Marcus Bingham playing 25 minutes every single night and and this is where I push back on the the point that you made not necessarily pushing back on you but you know Nick Ward for all the stamina issues he had and all the offensive gifts that he had I could see why he couldn't be on the floor because defensively he was a liability same with Derek Nix. They were not fleet of foot. They were not shot blockers. They were not able to switch. They just, they were not defensive guys. At minimum, Marcus Bingham, if he gives you nothing else on the offensive end, gives you nothing, you have a shot blocker and an anchor. That should earn you at a minimum 20 minutes a game, especially when our backup centers are Julius Marble and Maddie Sissoko. Like, it shouldn't be an issue. We should not revert back to this. I should not be this upset when my team has only lost two games this year, but I just find myself frustrated and upset. And sometimes I have to look back to last year and realize it can get a lot worse or look over down South to Ann Arbor and realize it can get a lot more worse, but it's just like, it's, we are in the, like you said, Greg, we're in the heart of big 10 play. There's no reason unless foul trouble that Marcus Bingham should play less than 20 minutes a game. He's, yeah, earned, he's first of all, he's earned it. And second of all, we, as a team, we need him out there. Yeah, he's averaging 19.6 minutes a game in conference play, eight points, six rebounds, two blocks. Like, just make that 30 minutes a game. And that's a great center. I don't really get it. Um, also, let's do it. Oh, go ahead, Riley. Yeah, I was just going to say with Bingham, too, I wouldn't have expected this before I looked it up, but he's shooting 41. He's shooting 41% on mid-range jumpers this season. He's hit 19 of them. Like, it shows he's got a little more offensive range where – yeah, it seemed like his first couple of years at Michigan State, who knew what you were going to get from him? Right. He's, he's even showed himself as a lob threat this year and a guy who can catch and finish, which is still beyond me that he wasn't that guy in the first couple of years because at worst, he's always been a seven-footer and he can always just catch it. But this year, he's actually been a lob target. So I don't know. It's just, you know, coaches always will harp on guys earning the trust of their coach or like earning the trust with their play and with how they're, you know, the production they're having on the floor. And I think Marcus has done that this year. So 19.6 irks me. Also, I don't believe Bet Rivers offers this, but if you could do college props for player to score first, I would bet Marcus Bingham every single game. He gets that little high post touch, little turnaround jumper. Seems like it goes in. Every single game for a shot. Uh, but then it's quiet down the stretch for him lately. Car, I want to put you through a quick Tom Izzo trust exercise versus a Carter Elliott trust exercise for me. Five players in the front court in Michigan State's rotation. Marcus Bingham, Julius Marble, Madi Sissoko, Joey Hauser, Malik Hall. I would like you to rank those five from you trust them the most to you trust them the least. Okay, trust them. Marcus Bingham is who I trust the most. That's that's clear and clear and above. I, 
Second, I'm going to trust Joey Hauser. Second. And then I will go Malik Hall, Marble, uh, Sissoko. So that that's also my answer. And I, I was curious if you'd flip-flop Hauser Hall. I'm proud of you for putting Hauser second because I think that's the honest truth. Like the Hall might be the better player when he plays well, but it's very hard to trust Malik Hall at times. Um, so I'm with you. That's my order. But here's the problem, Cart. That's not Tom Izzo's order. And I don't think it's going to be Tom Izzo's order. And I think if there's one thing to nitpick right now and the, the great job Tom Izzo's done this season – that could potentially derail this team once they start having to play the best teams in the Big Ten, which will be very soon, it's that Marcus Bingham's probably like third or fourth on his trust list in that group. Hmm. Maybe maybe he's doing some minute restrictions. Maybe he's saving them. I, I just don't see what that. <laughs> I got to find the positive angle on this. Otherwise, I'm going to drive myself crazy. Yeah, that's true. All right. Uh, we also wanted to get Riley on here to talk Tyson Walker. Now, obviously, the, the injury concerns with Tyson put a little damper on any serious conclusions we can draw from the way he played last night. I thought Tyson was very good last night. Um, I'm still getting some, some crap from Michigan State fans, which is fair, that I, I was slandering Tyson Walker earlier this season. Uh, I still for good, for good reason. Yeah, I'm still – I, I want to be very clear here. I think Tyson Walker is a fine Big Ten starting point guard. I, I may even say he has played good. He has played well at certain points of the season. He hasn't done it every game. Like I don't expect Tyson Walker to come in and have a good game every single game right now, because it's just as good of a chance. He'll go for zero points and four assists as it is that he'll go for 10 and seven. Um, now Riley saw Tyson Walker before any of us saw Tyson Walker, Tyson Walker, Played North Carolina, I believe it was last season, right? Mm -hmm. It was a makeup game because we had some sort of ACC cancellation. So Northeastern traveled down to Chapel Hill at the last minute. One of like the, I think it was probably like the second or third to last game we had in Chapel Hill with no fans. But yeah, Tyson Walker lit us up in the first half. So what was your perception of Tyson? I mean, when he transferred to Michigan State, what was the expectation from you as someone who had seen it against your team, what he would bring to the Spartans? Yeah, I think I know he was a big time scorer in the Colonial and everything, and he dropped 25 on us. Like, and I think he dropped 27 for the game, and 23 or 25 of those came in the first half. And he just got like wherever he wanted to on the court. Like, his footwork was great, was able to get like wherever he needed to to get his shot off. And I think, as far as that was the only time I watched a Northeastern game last year, but yeah, it was, it was tough for me to know exactly. Like, I didn't think he was going to come into, Michigan State and an average 20 a game like he did for Northeastern I, I even looked back at it today to see what how he had performed against other high majors and I think against Syracuse last year he only had seven points and then against Georgia last year he had 19 and I don't know if we even really consider Georgia a high major anymore but yeah, I was gonna say they're they're with the pits of the world <laughs> so but I've I thought like he was at least the type of guard who maybe be a little more aggressive to get his offense. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. There have been a lot of dudes who had career games against North Carolina over the years. I think about Xavier Tam Mays at Florida state. I don't know if anybody remembers that guy, but he, he would get, go off for close to 30 plus every time he played UNC and averaged 10 points a game for his career. So <laughs> sometimes it's tough for me to know, is this dude just hyped up? Cause he's playing, against North Carolina, or is this something that's really going to translate? But I would say I definitely expected him to be averaging more than 
seven a game. Not again, like you're saying, like he's facilitated really well, and it's not meant as a slight on him. But I did think there'd be a little more aggressiveness in and getting his own shot. Yeah, and that and that's you hit the nail on the head right there. I it's just the the lack of or the it seems like there's a doubt in his mind that he can get a bucket when he has shown in the past he can get buckets like. And I, I'm definitely a broken record when saying this, but like any point guard that I've ever played with, any point guard that I've ever seen in my career of basketball, if you're a scorer and the defense has the audacity to go under a screen on you, you you punish their ass. Like you you either shoot the ball, which he can. That's what I'm saying. Like the stroke looks fine. Yeah, he just, he, he just doesn't shoot it. He fifty-seven percent from three this season. I, I don't. I, I don't get why he's so reluctant to shoot the ball. It just it, it's mind-boggling to me. So let me. I'm gonna play psychiatrist here because you know I like to do that cart. I'm wondering, like, I'm trying to draw conclusions. Don't give me that eye roll. That was horrible. Uh, I I'm trying to draw conclusions of like what could possibly be causing this, and the only thing I can come up with is don't don't you do it. I don't know what you think I'm going to do. I don't think this is bad. Uh, okay, go ahead. I, I Just like Tyson Walker enters the Michigan State program. Who is the only other guy that's there at point guard? Who's the guy he's going to learn the system from? Hogard. A.J. Hogard, who it could not be more of a hunt assists only guy, right? And like get my head down, get to the rim. Like it has Tyson just learned from a guy who honestly has been a pretty damn good facilitator this year that like – my role is to purely facilitate. Wow, that was an angle I did not see coming. Um, but I hope to God that's not the case. I don't know. I it it it. I just find myself asking every, after every game, like you're a you are a bucket. You have shown in the past you can get buckets. Like at worst, get the attempts up. Like I rather I rather Tyson right now. Actually, this might sound bad. I rather Tyson right now be averaging like. I don't know, 10 shots a game minimum and not shooting good percentages. So at least I can say, okay, he maybe he just can't score. But right now, I don't know if he can score because he doesn't even show that he wants to score the basketball, which is just odd to me. Yeah, I'm still waiting just to see him like to see him put guys on skates to create separation to be firing off step backs. That's what I want. <laughs> the thing is, Riley, like in a lot of the games this year, like he will actually like sometimes do it, but then after that, it's he, he doesn't shoot the ball like he's like getting off these screens he's coming off the screen the big isn't showing isn't hedging at all and I'm like oh this dumbass pull that Tyson nope oh. wait what did you think I was gonna do with my slant there by the way learning from AJ Hogan <laughs> yeah that's an angle I never saw only, only, only you would come with that angle. are we are we saying we hate that angle like I legitimately think that could be part of it right now I don't know uh, I don't know. I, I mean, is, I think, is Tyson not a totally different guy than he was prior to coming to Michigan State? I think it's a Tyson thing. I just think it's uh, maybe he just doesn't trust himself. Which I mean, I mean, that's a you know you can't. I guess can't, I can't I feel like I just feel like right now we're getting like Tyson Walker to me is doing an AJ Hogard impression on the floor, and. The funny thing about that is that Tyson Walker's better at doing an AJ Hogard impression than AJ Hogard is. That's why Tyson Walker looks like the better point guard right now. Because like literally when they're out there, they're both just hunting assists. They're both turning the ball over. They're both getting to the rim and finishing. And they'll both shoot like 1.5 jumpers a game when they're left wide open. Like 
That's how I feel. I want to see Tyson Walker be Tyson Walker. And right now I feel like he's being AJ Hogarth. Yeah. I don't know. I just want to see the aggressiveness, especially like, I don't know what goes through Tyson's head because I'm not him, but like sometimes like, isn't he just like looking at the guy across from him? Like they're disrespecting me. Like this is the guy guarding me. Like in that high point game, God bless that children's dude. But if you like go like Tyson, look at this guy. Go, go get him a bucket. He cannot guard you. That man cannot guard you. Like, go get one. What do y'all, how do y'all think his defense has been this year? Because I know he had a, a couple colonial defensive player of the year awards at his time, I think. I, I, I think he's been pretty good defensively, but the only thing is you can see the real difference there as far as like from colonial to Big Ten, because I think he's good uh, instinctively. He's got good hands. You know, he can move his feet, all that. But at the same time, he's physically limited. So, like, if a bigger guard wants to go score on him, you know, I would lean towards the bigger guard going to get a bucket on him. But he hasn't been that bad defensively. He's been good, I'd say. Because that's where I noticed last night – or, yeah, in that Minnesota game, at least it didn't look like he was really much of a liability out there, Where whereas Hogard still seemed like he was struggling some, navigating the screens, communicating when he'd get caught in pick and roll and everything. And I didn't know if that was an issue for Tyson as well that y'all had noticed, but – yeah, I, I honestly was confused on what was going on in the pick and roll coverage last night. Like it, it was it was odd. Like it was half hedging, but like it didn't look like they were on the same page. And then for some reason, we were just letting the guy come downhill off the screen and just go straight to the basket with no Bingham there. So they just got a shot up. It was it was weird. Yeah, it seemed like whichever guard was on the ball handler was always ending up on the, the Minnesota dude's hip. Um, yeah, like every, every ball screen. I'm like, what what's going on here? Yeah, and they they ran that one four set too, and like state just refused to switch it and was getting torched for five plus minutes. Finally, down the stretch, they did switch it, which I thought was a good adjustment. But uh, just for the record, though, Walker and Hogarth's stats are like pretty much identical, other than Walker takes one more three a game and makes them at a much higher clip. So like he's the better option. But like they shoot, they make the same amount of shots from the floor per game. Tyson takes half a shot attempt more per game. Hogarth gets to the line a little more, but misses his free throws. Uh, Tyson's averaging half an assist more per game, identical turnovers. Like we're getting basically the same thing from these two, except Tyson's a better shooter. And that's where, like, again, I want to see Tyson be a different style almost than what we're getting for the point guard. That's what it is right there. Like right now you can make an argument to play Hogarth more than Tyson because what separates them is that Tyson is a clearly better score than Hogarth but he's not showing that right now so right now they look like they're on a level playing field and you can make an argument for playing either of them there's not a clear-cut better point guard right now I think if you know quoting our all facts media boys if Tyson could get into that extensive bag that has been sold to us then he would clearly show that he's better than Hogarth because they do think so similarly yeah all right we've gone long enough we need to get to the big play in this game um but I have, I have two quick, quick tidbits to get to before that. Jay Nakins, not really a factor last night. Cart, concerned about that? No. I, I, anything I get from Jaden this year is not real. I'm not really judging him. I just need him to do what he does on a defensive end, give energy. Anything he does for me, us right now, I think is a plus. Okay. I, I feel like you got to love his upside. You got to love that you got him for a few like every time I like even going back to watching his games at Sunrise Christian, he'd always do something that pop in some of those games playing alongside Kendall Brown and Kennedy Chandler. 
Um, I know he w- didn't have a chance to really shine as much as those other two and everything, but it seems like one of those dudes you just love to have in your program for the next couple of years, though. 100%. Yeah, he's going to be – I mean, everyone's excited about his future. Could be a Spartan great. But, again, I don't know. The hope was let's get Aikens more involved in conference play. I feel like he's honestly getting less involved than he was, at least in the good games of the non-conference slate. So, uh, I have my eye on that. We'll see what happens. It might, it, might have to, it might have to do with Cormac coming on a little more, do you think? I was going to say, last thing we need to talk about is Cormac, your boy, is coming yeah. on. Uh, seven for 12 from the floor, two for three from three, 16 points, five rebounds, four assists. Max Christie was phenomenal last night. His averages over the last five games look legit. Uh, we got to see it happen against the tier a opponents, but he hasn't had a chance to play tier a opponents. And he started feasting on the smaller guys, which bodes really well. However, cart, he, he pissed down his leg when he caught the ball with four seconds left. in the tie game. <laughs> he did. I needed that for the streets. I needed him. I needed him to pull that shot. That was it. Uh, but you know what? It's okay though. Cause that's the first time he's been in that situation. Come later in the year, Cormac. We're coming to you. You're you're the guy who can go get his own shot. All right. So he traveled twice. He traveled twice in one second with the ball, and it looked like the play was literally just drawn up for like you play to win. You play to win the game, Greg. All right. What an instinctive pass by Cormac to AJ over to Hauser for the game winner. Think of beauty. Oh God! I'm just picking that the, the film guy on Twitter talking about a moment a little too big. He pissed down his leg. That was Max Christie <laughs> right there for the moment. Um, I gotta uh, I gotta confess, I'd always see Carter tweet out Cormac, and I'm like, who is Cormac? <laughs> Earlier today, I googled Max Christie, and I see his real name is Cormac. I'm like, finally, that, that is that is my prodigal son. <laughs> it's so the dumbest stick. It's the dumbest stick that Carter has kept up with because he started it, and then for three weeks, Cormac was in a slump, and Carter refused to just call him by his chosen name, which would be Max instead. But his chosen name is Cormac. That's what's on the bursar. No, his given name is Cormac. His chosen name is Max. Come on, it's not that hard. Whatever. All right, let's that last possession though. Cormac looked awesome last night. He's good. I think there was one jumper he had. I like took note when I saw it where he he got his man with a little hesitation, like driving hard from from a like out on the perimeter and hit a little baseline jumper when the defense thought he was driving to the hoop, just elevated. It's like late in the second half, I think. But I, I was like, man, that dude's four time four time Big Ten freshman of the week. That's what a McDonald's All American does. Some McDonald's All Americans don't do that. Some McDonald's All Americans look like Canadian Chase Audige. all right uh okay we have to talk about the big play at the end aj hogard beats his man off the dribble draws like seven defenders uh puts a little no look spice on it gets it to joey and god bless joey hauser man the man has put up with a lot this year i'm sure he's heard the critics i'm sure a lot of people within the program have heard the critics yet joey hauser is constantly on the floor in big moments and uh, he finished a big one last night to get MSU a win. Yeah, there was a reason he was out there, too. Like, that's exactly why we go back to that trusting. For all the shit that people give him, like, at the end of the day, when it comes down to trusting somebody, uh, that's why Hauser's high on the list. And I'm happy for him because, like, we give him credit on here when he does, but no one else ever wants to give him credit. And God forbid if he would have missed that layup, like, Spartan Nation would have been with pitchforks and lighted torches like it would have been bad news like but that's like 
at the same time, like everyone's hype, but that's what Joe, Joey Hauser can do that. Yeah, like that was cute, that one layup that he missed, but like he also makes his layups. Like he can he can give us seven and seven. He does that. That's what he averages. So, you know, get salute my guy. Good game winner. Celebration way off, though. That we'll, we'll discuss that another time. Like you got to you got to be ready for the moment right there. That has that. That needed a little more juice on it, but it's okay. I kind of liked it because he basically just ran and tackled Hogard. And, like, <laughs> that's the second time this season MSU's won a big game on the last possession or had a big moment. And, like, the guy who makes the play ends up, like, directing all the attention to the other guy in the play. Like, that just seems like it bodes well from a chemistry standpoint. But you're right. Joey is – he's been good. Like, I don't even want to call him fine. Like, he's – I'm going to say he's he, been he, good. He's been, he's been okay. He's still shooting 35% from the field. He's shooting 40% from the field. He's seven, he? seven, seven, and two on 40% from the field. His three point percentage has crept up. He's now at 33.3%, which is right in line with where he was last year. Now we said like, we weren't happy with how he shot the ball from three last year. I still think he's capable of being a much better shooter. He's shooting 90% from the free throw line. So I know he's a good shooter, but Joey Hauser is a great rebounder. He's a guy who is pretty consistently in the right spots offensively. He doesn't have the traditional Michigan State, like, I'm just going to be a dog, like, bulldoze through your front court shit. Like, he's a finesse player in a stretch four. That's weird. Michigan State doesn't run a lot of those. But, like, he's been productive. There's a reason he's on the floor in big spots. And I was really happy for him to have the moment where he got to see the ball go in and win a game because of a shot that he made. Uh, yeah, Riley, sure. Riley, no. I got to ask, you You have a stretch four named Brady Manick, who I've made many jokes about <laughs> through the years. Uh, is Joey Hauser just Brady Manic without hair? Is that? Is oh that hair? God! Do not disrespect Joey Hauser like that. Okay, Stop come on it. now. We're comparing. We're comparing. Your stretch four. Your stretch four shaped like a mechanic. But our stretch four actually hits his three pointers. He hit five threes against Virginia this past week. Now, I know that's what not you're saying. That's not saying much. Not who they are this he's year. Shooting AAA. He's shooting 36%. Let's not act like he's had some crazy clip. Yeah, but, like, he's at least had a couple of games where he'll get hot and hit four or five threes. And I, I, has Hauser ever done that since being at Michigan State? Oh, uh, yeah. Again, it's like Western Michigan, but <laughs> no, no one a real says, but yeah. Yeah. Come look, let's be real. Joey Hauser, he, he and Brady Manick both look like they're just, they've been raised on that chunky Campbell soup diet. Like, I wonder, they're, they're, mid, they're Midwest boys, you know? Yeah, they're probably boys. They're, they they, they probably bass in fishing in the, in the off season together. But, uh, but also, Joey, but we'll, we'll let it be known right now that Joey Hauser is, is better than Brady Manick. There's no way he's better than Brady. If we're putting it was the North Carolina version of Brady Manning? Yeah, the North Carolina version of Brady Manning. Yeah, no. <laughs> the North Carolina version of Brady Manning has been arguably our second best player this year. He also look, he, but he also looks like he always smells. <laughs> uh, Joey Hauser has 13 games in his Michigan State career. Uh, no, actually, that's wrong. I have Marquette games in here as well. He has five games in his Michigan State career with three or more threes. So he has done it. Uh, he had six made threes against Western Michigan, as Carter alluded to. So shout out to those directional schools. I'm proud of you, Joey, for hitting. <laughs> it happens. It happens. Uh, all right. Well, we may have to bring Riley back on the show at some point. Uh, we can only be so blessed to have a North Carolina, Michigan state meetup uh, later this season. Although that's probably not going to happen because that would require North Carolina to make the NCAA tournament this year. So <laughs> That might that's not be fair. That's not know. fair, Greg. Come on now. We're top 30 on Kim Palm. We're getting in. 
a hang the banner as as we would say to our <laughs> Illinois fans. That's right. I'm just saying our advanced <laughs> metrics are good right now. They're only going up. We don't have They're only going up. You you you're not going to get a tier one win the rest of the season. Hey, we'll we'll get at least one of them on Duke. We'll beat Duke when they come to Chapel Hill. Wow, on record there. We don't lose to Duke in Chapel Hill. Well, that was when Roy Williams was the coach. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) We might have lost to Duke two years ago in Chapel Hill, but that year doesn't count. That was the COVID year. I mean, Riley, maybe we should pivot our hopes, man. Maybe we could just get Michigan, North Carolina, and the NIT championship. That'd be (laughs) the NIT championship. I look. I at this point, that's what I'm rooting for as a Michigan fan. So that's, Michigan, that's Michigan couldn't even stay on the same court as UNC this year. We do not deserve to be mentioned in the same breath with the same disdain as as Michigan and their postseason hopes. Right now. <laughs> All right, we 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 have not addressed this on unscripted. I feel like we should quickly get to it. Did Michigan duck Michigan State? Oh yeah, yeah. Jawan Howard, aka Scrooge McDuck, uh, smoke duckers. Uh, it is what it is. I mean, you know, maybe they didn't want that to happen. I get it. You had a COVID breakout, but at the same time, you had seven players, right? Hey, tell me why. No, <laughs> not right. Did they not? Yeah, oh, they, they didn't? Did. No, they did not have seven players is what the report was. You I know, found it interesting oh. that Michigan had – Michigan football had zero positive cases going into the playoffs, yet Michigan basketball comes comes down with an outbreak right before playing Michigan State. That's that's just interesting. So, so what you're telling me is that Jawan planted a COVID outbreak in his locker room to duck this game. That's my new conspiracy theory. Uh, what I will tell you Jawan did was take his entire team to an Orlando Magic game a week before the entire team got COVID. Like you want to avoid COVID, maybe don't do that bullshit in the middle of a pandemic. Like I, I have criticism to give here, but I, I don't, they, they obviously look, it makes no sense. I'm sorry. I was going to say this for the sleepers podcast cart, but it makes no sense for them to duck this game. They need wins. They need opportunities to steal a game against a good team. Like this isn't last year when they wanted to avoid all the good teams so they could hang a banner. Like this is this year where they desperately need wins. They didn't come up Michigan State. But Greg, but Greg, 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 that's that's you bringing in logic. This is Twitter, okay? And this is rivalry. We leave logic out. We we run we run with narratives. And moving forward, when you ask me my favorite type of duck. I'm going to refer to the University of Michigan basketball team because it quacks like one and it walks like one. It might just be a duck. Uh, I I may be dropping some news I'm not supposed to drop here, but I'm just going to say it. I'm, these these eyes of mine saw some exchanged messages with uh, a member of the Michigan basketball team who reportedly was positive for COVID over the weekend, but when asked what the deal was, said, we ain't playing till I'm back. That's all I'm saying. I'm not the, won't name names, but they're, wait, they're, Greg, can we can we not end it on that? Do I get like my little my little monologue? Uh, I think Riley should get a monologue first, but then you can go. Okay. All right, go ahead, Riley. What do you want a monologue about? <laughs> Where can the people find you, Riley? <laughs> <laughs> like that's not very not very descriptive part, but it's all good. You can find me on Twitter at amhourhoops. Um, you can find my work on heatcheckcbb.com. Haven't written anything in the new year yet, but probably will in the next couple of weeks. So nothing, nothing imminent on the pipe on the pipeline, but that's hey, go check out my guy. It's it's good stuff. And he wrote a good if you want to go back 
look on his preseason deep dives to his Michigan State piece. I looked back on it the other day just so I could see, you know, what we're looking like now. Riley, are you a little higher on Michigan State than you were now? Or at, even, you know, because we had some tough games against some not so not so good opponent, some not so good opponents came out with wins. But how are you still feeling about this Michigan State team? So high on them, low, where you at? I think I ranked Michigan State 12th this week. And that's they've vastly exceeded my expectations from like a fringe top 30 team going into the season. I think that defense has potential to be great. I know they're still top 30 on Kimpom right now, just like UNC's overall ranking hang the banner. Michigan State has a top has a top 30 defense on Kimpom, but I just think with that that length on the perimeter with Gabe Brown, Max Christie, they'll get there. And I know Malik Hall, y'all say he's Easter famine. That's been like my observation as a third party observer, but he seems pretty switchable too. Like you got the pieces to be a really great kind of, maybe not quite like a vintage Izzo D that had like Xavier Tillman anchoring the paint, but I think it can be at least in the same conversation. So I'm yeah. buying the they just, they just need a center who's better than Carter Elliott more than 17 minutes a game and they'll be fine. Okay, glad you got that off your chest, but now it's my turn. <clears throat> this morning, I called my mother, and I was like, Mom, how you doing? Good morning. Uh, you're having a good day. She said, yes, son, I'm having a good day. Are you? I'm like, yes, I'm a winner, Mom. Uh, some people, some teams, some fans, they probably spoke to their loved ones this morning, and they're like, hey, Mom, hey, Dad, hey, wife, husband, whatever it might be. I'm having an okay day, but my team, they, they have a loss in the conference. Uh, it doesn't seem ideal. The point of basketball games is to win them, especially in conference. If you're losing in conference play, you should reevaluate yourself. It doesn't seem fun. Could not be me. Go green, go white. And we're here. Number one in the Big Ten. If you want to find us, look up. If you want to find Michigan, look down. So you're unaware that ESPN officially logged last night's game as a, as a tie, if you could say correct. Yeah, just a clerical error. Got it. All right. I can't believe I put myself through this bullshit. Congrats, Carter. Uh, long, long season ahead. We'll see where, where it goes. You take, take quite a few of you victory laps through January 13th. Oh, yeah. I'll be, ta- no, I'll be taking it through. I'll be taking it through March, my dog. It's happening. We got something to cook in. All right. All right. We shall see. Uh, uh, Riley, thank you for doing this. Appreciate you. We'll talk again soon. Yes, sir. Appreciate y'all having me on. It's been a blast.